My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we've received a bunch of emails uh, wanting to know what the moving company story was. Okay, here's what happened. Uh, We had hired a moving company uh, the year before, and we liked them very much. And they did a good job. And so Kat reached out to them via the interwebbles. I requested a quote from several different companies. And we get a call back from a company with a very similar name to the company that we had hired before. And we thought we were talking with them. And they quoted us a price like $99 an hour with a three hour minimum. We thought, okay, we only have to move about a mile to the storage unit. This maybe cost us four or $500. Totally reasonable. Yeah, we thought. So anyway, they come in and they do their thing. And we th- we're thinking, geez, they're really efficient. They're shrink wrapping stuff and uh, doing a great job. Don't forget that they were late. That's true. They were late and they kind of rushed us through signing things, initialing things. So they pack us all up and we get to the storage unit and they go, hey, you can't have your stuff. We're not unloading it until you pay us the uh, fee. And I said, "Okay, great. Give me the invoice. Which is just weird to begin with. Right. Mm. I mean, normally you pay when the job is done. But in this case, they wouldn't unload our stuff until the job until we were paid. It was weird. So instead of it being three, four hundred dollars, it was nineteen hundred and sixty five dollars. They charged us $3 a foot for shrink wrap and... $9 for pieces of cardboard. And because they had rushed us through signing things, we technically did authorize it. Yeah, but it wasn't something that we had requested in the quote. Um, Nor was it made clear to me that any items over 200 pounds, we would be charged $1 per pound Mm -hmm. for those items. And allegedly, we had two items over 200 pounds. I asked them what what they were, and uh, they couldn't tell us. Actually, I was told, it doesn't matter. And then you asked them on the phone, well, how do they know it's 200 pounds? they have they have scales on the truck mm-hmm. so i was at the site the storage site i went over and i said can i see your scales and they're like what are you what are you talking about 
You know, the scales on the, we don't have any scales on there. Anyway. I did report them uh, to the Better Business Bureau. So yeah, we, we got tricked. We did, And yeah. uh, we felt really not great about it. Stupid, actually. And also, the owners yelled at us. Uh, the man told me that it was like, uh, speaking to me was like speaking to a brick wall. And then uh, he called, sh- the lady called you a motherfucker. Over the phone, which was uh, not true. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. And not only did they charge us $1,965, but they demanded it all in cash. Which is so weird. So I had to take money out of an account that we had saved for moving and uh, count it out in $20 bills. So they were walking around our uh, storage unit with a wad of 20s about as thick as my thigh. So I guess the lesson here is that if uh, you are thinking of hiring a mover in the central Florida area, reach out to us. Yeah, we'll tell you who to avoid. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, moving along. We've talked a lot about the numbers 1111 showing up in our lives over and over and over and over again. Happened just last night. We even named our company 1111. If you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you've heard the stories about the bizarre sightings of 1111. Mm -hmm. Well, we're in Cuenca, Ecuador right now. We went into this little bar, a little uh, pizzeria, and went in, had had an IPA. And as we were leaving, we noticed the name of the bar, 1111. 11 by 11. But the sign said 1111. Yes. Yeah. It's 11 by 11 was the name. And by the way, if you're ever in Cuenca, check them out. Great stuff. Anyway, synchronicities. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Oh, fun. Synchronicities refer to meaningful coincidences or events that occur in a way that seems to defy conventional explanations. Coined by the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, synchronicity suggests that certain events or experiences may hold significance beyond mere chance or random occurrence. If you've seen the movie Only You, which I highly recommend if you have not, Marissa Tomei will tell you all about it. Yeah, and from astonishing encounters to improbable alignments, uh, today we're going to look at three extraordinary tales that defy explanation. Well, for the most part, anyway. Our first story goes like this. The bustling city was a tapestry of activity with its streets lined by towering buildings and its sidewalks teeming with people in constant motion. This was Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, in the 1930s. Amidst the chaos of the urban life, a baby, oblivious to the danger that was awaiting it, the baby found itself perched precariously on the ledge of an open window. Now, I mentioned this story briefly a long time ago in another um, another episode A little more information here. As the story goes, the baby fell out of the window. And a man simply passing by, by coincidence, happened to look up at just the right time and see this baby plummeting to him from the fourth story. That's terrifying. And he, with lightning fast reflexes, leapt forward and caught the baby. And according to the story, neither the baby nor the man was hurt. Wow. Time passed, a year in fact, And he happened to be walking past the same building at the exact same time that the baby fell out for a second time. No. What are this baby's parents doing? Not watching the window. It was almost like destiny demanded a sequel. Once again, the same child, now a year older, fell out of the window and the guy caught the baby for a second time. Again, both were unhurt. Okay, it's a great story, right? And I've mentioned this before, but it's not entirely true. No. Uh, There 
there are some elements. It, it, the story has evolved like a game of telephone. It's morphed over the years. And after doing a bit more research on this, I uncovered what was likely the event that inspired this story. According to Time Magazine in 1937 in Detroit, there was a guy named Joseph Figlock. He was a street sweeper and he was cleaning an alley when a baby did fall out of a fourth story window and landed directly on top of him. Oh my God. He did not catch the baby. The baby and Figlock were seriously injured, but they survived. A year later, a two-year-old by the name of David Thomas fell from a fourth-story window and landed on Figlock. <gasps> Again, they were both injured but survived. The coincidence is recounted in a 1938 article in Time magazine. It wasn't the same baby. It was not the same window. And let's be reasonable here. Figlock was a street sweeper, so he spent a lot of time in the street. So. Yeah, but how many babies are falling out of windows? <laughs> That's true. Two babies, it, it is true, two babies, both falling from the fourth floor and landing directly on the same man uh, did happen. It's an amazing tale, but the whole idea of him miraculously catching that, that's, that was mm -hmm. all enhancement. Here is something that is 100% factual. It's about The Simpsons, a revered animated show, of course. It's loved for its satirical wit and cultural commentary. And you've watched exactly how many episodes? None. Zero episodes for Cat. I did once dine at The Simpsons restaurant at Universal Studios. The long-running animated television series has garnered widespread attention and intrigue due to its uncanny ability to seemingly predict future events. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into some of the more notable examples of the Simpson predictions. I have heard about this. It's crazy. One of the most notable predictions credited to the Simpsons is a depiction of Donald Trump as president of the United States in the year 2000, an episode in 2000 titled Bart to the Future. A glimpse into the future reveals that Lisa Simpson as the first straight female president <laughs> Uh, who inherited significant problems from her predecessor, Donald Trump. <laughs> the episode aired 16 years before Trump's actual presidency. That's bizarre. They predicted smartwatches. The concept of smartwatches, which has become, you know, they've become increasingly popular over the years, was predicted by The Simpsons long before they entered the mainstream in 1995. An episode called Lisa's Wedding, set once again in the future, we see Lisa wearing a device similar to today's smartwatches. Although the episode portrayed was more comical than realistic, it nonetheless displayed an early glimpse of the concept of wearable technology. Okay. Another instance of The Simpsons seemingly predicting the future, or at least technological advancements, was their portrayal of video chat. In the episode Lisa's Wedding, once again, set in the future, Lisa has a conversation with her mother, Marge, through a video communication device, which looked very similar to Skype or Zoom or FaceTime. Back to the Future did that, too. I remember thinking at the time how invasive that felt to me. Like, what, do I have to wear clothes for a phone call now? <laughs> this is stupid. Uh, but now I use it all the time. And then there's this, the Simpsons ventured into the realm of scientific discovery with uh, their prediction of the Higgs boson particle. The God particle? In 1998, the episode The Wizard of Evergreen Terrace, Homer Simpson scribbles complex equations on a blackboard in one shot. A complex equation 
closely resembles the Higgs boson particles mathematical formulation, predating the discovery by the Large Hadron Collider in 2012. That's spooky. That is crazy. Who writes that show, Matt? Matt, someone? Graining, yeah, but, but well, he produces it now. I, they have a series of writers. In fact, Conan O'Brien used to write for the uh, Simpsons. Oh. We had a lot of great talent go through the doors. Do any of those writers also work for, like, CERN or something? <laughs> I don't know. That's something worth looking into. And that's just a couple of examples. There's 50, easily, that you can look up on your own. Our third story takes place, well, it takes us back to the construction of the Hoover Dam. During the construction of Hoover Dam, which took place between 1931 and 1936, of course, safety measures and protocols were in place to minimize accidents and protect the workers. Not enough, though. But not enough. There were several fatalities that occurred during the uh, construction, and that's not uncommon in large-scale construction projects. The exact number of deaths does vary, but uh, according to official government websites... The official amount was, or official total, was 96 workers lost their lives during the construction period. And these unfortunate incidents were primarily due to accidents such as falls, rock slides, and heat-related illnesses. We're going to talk about two of those 96 casualties. And they have something to do with synchronicity? Yeah. We're going to start at the very beginning of the Hoover Dam's construction. The first person killed during the course of building Hoover Dam was a guy named J.G. Tierney. Tierney drowned while surveying the waters of the Colorado River. This was before the construction actually started, but it was part of the early process. So technically, he was the first guy to die during the, uh, the preparation and construction phase of Hoover Dam. And his name was J.G. Tierney? Tierney, yes. 13 years later, on the same day that marked the completion of the Hoover Dam, a guy named Patrick Tierney fell off an intake tower shortly before construction of the dam was completed. Oh, no. Patrick Tierney was J.G. Tierney's son. Oh. So the first guy to die and the last guy to die at Hoover Dam during the preparation and construction phase were father and son. Oh, my goodness. Synchronicities, well, they serve as a reminder that our world is filled with complexity beyond comprehension. And these are just a couple of examples. Terrible examples. Why? Because they die. Well, that one, yeah. Simpsons are still alive, although they should, probably should have died. That baby kept falling out a window Didn't all the time. Babies just ch chucked out of windows constantly. Well, it was the 30s, sweetie. And that was a popular pastime in Detroit. Good pizza, though. Anyway, synchronicities uh, makes me question the boundaries of reality and the limitations of our own perceptions. But to be fair, most things do. <laughs> My uh, source is Time Magazine, the United States Bureau of Reclamation website, which is a saucy read, I have to say. Wow. Wikipedia and The Hollywood Reporter. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Christine Maggiore was an activist and promoter of HIV AIDS denialism. She was the founder of Alive and Well AIDS Alternatives, an organization which disputes the link between HIV and AIDS and urges HIV positive pregnant women to avoid anti-HIV medication. She authored the book, What If Everything You Thought You Knew About AIDS Was Wrong? On December 28, 2008, Christine died of AIDS. Paige just sent us this email. It just came in today. Hello, lovely podcast hosts. I've been binge listening for a full year now and finally caught up this past week. I was recently listening to Box 540 something while ranting to myself about work when Kat chimes in with a stern, calm down. And my immediate reaction was, oh, fuck off, Kat. (laughs) I'm so sorry for distantly yelling at you, but my husband does this when I'm worked up and it's a term that of endearment to flip him off at this point. Mm-hmm. Much love and appreciation from my heart and my pants to you both and can't wait for timely freak listening, though I am sad since I work out of my car for eight hours a day during this time of year. 
Sabrina sent us a message. Hearing about Kat being sad about selling her car (laughs) resonated with me. We recently traded in our 2009 Toyota Corolla Choban, and I was quite sad, even though I hadn't driven it in years. It became my husband's car in 2015. I now drive a Nissan Rogue, Merida, and I would be quite sad to give her up myself. Before we went to the dealership, I thanked Choban for her years of service and cursed Toyota for its years of many recalls. I totally get it, Sabrina, though I will say right before we traded in our Rogue, uh, we did have a recall and the app's solution for our recall was undetermined. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a little terrifying. Might want to check that out on yours. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Airwave Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. We were watching you during that story that Jethro just told. We saw what you were doing. Damn, you turn us on. This is... The Box of Oddities. All right, Fancy Pants, what you got? Altitude-related congestion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And loud traffic noises. Yeah. Live from the streets of Cuenca, Ecuador. Just so you know, we are in an Airbnb in the back bedroom, in the back of the closet, and we are hoping that this sounds good. Fingers crossed. Haggis seems to enjoy it, though. Are you going to say something like, what you got for me, or something like that? I did. I said, what you got, sweet pants? I know, but... Then I said congestion. I ruined everything. All right. What you got for me? The Trail of Tears refers to the forced removal of several Native American tribes, including the Cherokee, the Creek, Chickasaw, Seminole, and Choctaw, as well as other nations, from their ancestral lands in the southeastern United States to designated Indian territory, uh, which is mostly now Oklahoma, between 1830 and 1850. 
The U.S. government, led by President Andrew Jackson, was involved in implementing this policy, and the impact on the indigenous peoples was devastating. The physical trail consisted of several overland routes and one main water route, and by passage of the Omnibus Public Lands Management Act in 2009, stretched some 5,045 miles across portions of nine states. Many Native Americans faced harsh conditions during their forced relocation, including long marches, inadequate supplies, and exposure to disease and weather. Records indicate some 100,000 indigenous people were forced from their homes during this period, which is sometimes known as the removal area. I didn't have any idea that it was that many. Yeah. Whoa. And it's estimated at least 15,000 of them died during the journey. Disease, starvation, exposure. The Trail of Tears resulted in the loss of ancestral lands, cultural disruption, and the decimation of Native American communities. The racist forced removal and the thoughtless, inept manner in which it was implemented had severe and lasting effects on the Native American tribes involved. The Irish Potato Famine, also known as the Great Famine, occurred between 1845 and 1852 in Ireland. It was a widespread crop failure, particularly of the potato, which was a staple food for uh, the majority of the Irish population. It still is for me. The primary cause was a potato disease called late blight, which destroyed crops across Ireland, and the severity of the famine was exacerbated by social, economic, and political factors. Ireland was under British rule at the time, and the government's response was very laissez-faire. It was inadequate, and it fell short of addressing the scale of the crisis. People died from starvation or diseases associated with malnutrition, while others emigrated in search of food and opportunities elsewhere, which is how part of your family arrived in the States. Right, and uh, that part of the family still, to this day, farms potatoes. I love that. Mm. It's estimated that the population of Ireland decreased by around 20% during this time due to death and immigration. So what do the abused and oppressed Choctaw and the suffering Irish have in common? You don't have to know. I'm going to tell you. Oh, that was rhetorical. Good. Good. I was afraid there was going to be a quiz. In 1847, only 14 years after their long, horrific march along the Trail of Tears ending, the Choctaw people in Oklahoma learned of the great hunger in Ireland. The two people have both been overtaken by outside forces. The indigenous peoples of North America had experienced genocide from those taking over their lands, and Ireland wouldn't gain independence from Britain until the 1920s. They both experienced prejudice, their culture and languages nearly eradicated. I never thought about that, but yeah, there are certainly some similarities there. So in 1845... News about the Irish potato famine made its way to American newspapers, and as coverage intensified, the papers urged the American public to lend a helping hand to those suffering in Ireland. Fast forward to 1847, when Major William Armstrong rolled into Oklahoma for a meeting, and the goal was to raise funds for the starving poor of Ireland. According to historian Turtle Bunbury, 
Well, I can't let that name pass. I know. Turtle Bunberry? Amazing, right? Oh, it sounds like a delicious pastry. This gathering brought together Choctaw folks and missionaries, traders, and chiefs. So in March of that year, the East in eastern Oklahoma, this crew got together to collect funds for the relief of the starving poor in Ireland. While records of the exact amount of the donation vary, the figure usually referenced that they managed to gather $170, which was sent off to the Memphis Irish Relief Committee and later the General Irish Relief Committee in New York City. The Choctaw's donation eventually made its way to County Cork, south of Dublin. Again, County Cork... It's where my people are from. Right. This was no small effort, given what the tribe had so recently been through. It had only been 14 years since the end of the Trail of Tears. $170,1874 has equivalent in purchasing power to about $6,300 today. Yeah, I was just looking that up. Thank you. You're welcome. That's according to officialdata.org. And it was recognized as such. The chairman of the New York Committee mentioned it specifically in reports to the Central Relief... Okay, the phone's ringing. We don't even live here. This is weird. Hello? Lo siento, solamente pequeño espanol. No worries, bye-bye. I hope the building's not on fire. Me too. That would be a weird way to let us know, though. Okay, um... The potato crop largely recovered in 1852, and the famine was considered over, though the strain of the decreased food output had largely been relieved because such a huge number of people had then either left or died. Fast forward to 1995. Irish President Mary Robinson visited the Choctaw Nation to rekindle and reestablish a friendship and thank the Choctaws for their $170 aid all those years ago. Oh, my God. In 2017, a sculpture commemorating the Choctaws and their gift known as Kindred Spirits was dedicated in Middleton. This comes from Smithsonian. A Choctaw delegation took part in the dedication of Kindred Spirits, a sculpture commissioned by the people of County Cork to commemorate the Choctaw's kindness. These people were still recovering from their own injustice, and they put their hands in their pockets and they helped strangers. County Councilman Joe McCarthy pointed out at the ceremony, it's rare to see such generosity, and it had to be acknowledged. The sculpture consists of nine 20-foot stainless steel eagle feathers, arranged in a circle, no two feathers being identical, forming a bowl shape to represent a gift of a bowl of food. And this is a pattern. In 2001, tribal folks stepped up big time to support the firefighter fund in the aftermath of the Twin Towers attack in New York City. They went on to make significant contributions to Save the Children and the Red Cross in 2004 for tsunami relief, in 2005 for Hurricane Katrina relief. More recently, they extended a helping hand to those affected by hurricanes in Houston, Puerto Rico, and Florida. And in 2008, they were honored with the United States Federal Freedom Award for their support of National Guard and Reserve members and their families. There are countless stories of Choctaw folks who have selflessly... who have selflessly helped their neighbors, putting aside their own needs. And this relationship of giving and empathy continued. In 2019, the first recipient of the Choctaw Ireland Scholarship began her studies in Ireland. Ireland has reached out and offered scholarships for Choctaw Nation's people to come to Ireland 
to learn. So this has rippled out over generations. And in 2020, when COVID-19 hit the states, as well as most of the world, the death toll was particularly acute in the Navajo and Hopi Nation. The Irish, stating that they were paying it forward with their aid from the Choctaw in mind, took up a very sizable donation to assist. Chief Gary Batten was quoted in an article on ChoctawNation.com. We are gratified and perhaps not at all surprised to learn of the assistance our special friends, the Irish, are giving to the Navajo and Hopi nations. Our word for their selfless act is Iakoa. I did my best with that pronunciation, by the way. It means serving those in need. We have become kindred spirits with the Irish in the years since the potato famine, and we hope the Irish, Navajo, and Hopi peoples develop their lasting friendships as we have. Sharing our cultures makes the world grow smaller. That's a beautiful statement. Isn't it wonderful? And the that word is very important to their culture, the Iakawa. It's, it means to give and help those who need it. This act of generosity over a century and a half ago forged a connection between the two communities, symbolizing empathy and the understanding of suffering. And it stands as a testament to the power of human compassion that transcends borders and cultures. That's a beautiful story. Katrina Walls, everyone, with the heartwarming episode of the month award thank you that was beautiful thank you i got my information from the aforementioned sources as well as cnn national geographic and britannica well as our adventure in ecuador unfolds we will continue to share with you what we learn and we will specifically highlight the horrible mistakes we make there have been a few that tortellini the other day was one of them oof we're going to do a, uh, a freak Zoom from Ecuador. Our next Zoom call or Zoom meeting will be from, from Ecuador, obviously. And that's one of the benefits of supporting us on Patreon, becoming a member of the Order of Freaks. You get to join in on the Zoom calls. We'll, we'll chat with you. You also get ad-free episodes and a lot of other stuff, too. If you would like to join and support us, we would appreciate that. You can find the link at theboxofoddities.com. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. You see, we're south of the equator, so it goes the other way now. <laughs> and so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people 
smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.